The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another edition of Sandos in the sidekick. Get you ready for the weekend, ETSU. Men's basketball on the road at Sanford. Women's basketball senior day. And, of course, we will go over bold predictions in our third segment. We've waited all week. At least I've waited all week for it. Fail downs. Fail downs. And, no, it's not me and Mike. It's other things. Although I may be included. There's although possible. there's some of us that probably could be yes. fell down one way or another. So, let's open up men's basketball and what was a sellout, 6,177 ETSU versus Furman. Right after the game, Steve Forbes. <laughs> it's just kidding. What a great <laughs> win. What a great crowd. We just beat a really, really good basketball team. A very – well coached team. I mean, Bob Ritchie's man, he does a great job. And I mean, we couldn't put them away. We'd creep it up to eight or nine, and they'd just come right back. It was like a heavyweight fight. Um, I do think we probably led for the majority of the game. I don't know the numbers, but then it got to the point late where I was like, come on now, we got to bring this home. We can't let this slip away now after playing the way that we played. And so, man, I'm so proud of our players. Um, had some big time guys step up. I thought. Hughley came off the bench and just gave us tremendous effort, tremendous contributions. Trey, pun, Pat made three huge daggers there to kind of break the game open, especially the one in transition. The tail of the tape would be we just, you know, we did a better job on the glass, obviously. The 41-24, which was, it was flipped a little bit the last time, right? If I remember, it was 41-28 to in favor of Furman the first time around, and what a basketball game that was. I'm still just basking in the glory of how well played that was on both sides. Some of the coaching decisions by Bob Ritchie. Go ahead and trust your star, right? I mean, Jordan Lyons picks up two fouls early, took him out for all of, what, like a minute and a half after those two fouls in like the first five minutes, comes back with him 13-minute mark, and as you pointed out, then... Lions trust his ability, trust what he's doing on the defensive end of the court, tries to take a charge, ends up taking the charge. And so instead of it being a block in his third foul in the first half, takes the charge. And then in the second half, a similar decision for Bob Ritchie. And I certainly think that was one of the areas where the game flipped as Jordan Lyons could not stop fouling. And you thought the last foul was just egregious and a horrendous decision by Lyons. But fourth foul picked up by Lyons, I think it was like at the 13-30 mark. And then 45 seconds later, back in the ballgame. I think the most impressive thing was taking that charge <laughs> because if he gets the third foul, and honestly, that was like seven, eight minutes to go in the first half. I mean, he takes himself completely out of the first half at that point. There's no way Bob Ritchie 
is rolling the dice three fouls in the first half, throwing them back. Well, I say that. Maybe some of the second half. I, I, I mean, you I don't know. Mean, he, who knows? I mean, maybe he would have. But the 16 points Lions had in the first half kept Furman in the game. And for any doubters out there, and, and I put myself in that category about maybe how special of a player Lions could be or is, I mean, I think he took all doubt away. He I think was the turnaround three kind of won you Oh, it, it was incredible. I mean, two seconds on the shot clock. He catches it over the wrong shoulder. And just, you know, turns around, beats the horn, hits the shot, just cool, calm, cool, collected. Wasn't a whole lot of uh, showmanship. Kind of looked back to his head coach and just kind of like a nod to him for putting him back in. Then he hits another three right before half. And the only reason those aren't maybe standing out more is because Trey Boyd immediately came back down and, and hit two threes. But Lions was incredible. The fifth foul, it, and it always happens, it seems like. I think the second foul was a bit tough for him, and then the last foul. I mean, I did. I did. I felt like all the other fouls were. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. But the fifth foul. Well, don't you feel like you're testing fate, though? You put him oh, in for that amount just, of time with two, then four fouls. And you played so. Could have happened eventually, right? right? True. Well, and you, and let's be honest, that was a game where. No offense to any guy in the game. There wasn't a high level Wednesday game officials that we had seen in. Wofford, we'd seen at UNCG, we'd seen in some some other matchups. So, which is weird because Furman ETSU have had two true Southern Conference crews in both games, and they haven't had that in, in some of the other bigger matchups. I mean, I mean the Citadel. I mean, we got a Tim Gaddis sighting for goodness sakes, and and we can't get a Gaddis or John Hampton or Tony Green or or anybody, uh, you know, sort of. On that end, I, and again, no offense, the, the guys work so kind. I, you know, I see those guys a lot, talk to them a lot. I mean, they're nice guys, but they're Mean not to them behind their back. There's, there's a difference in why they're calling a majority of SOCON games and they're not calling a high-level game. So, and I thought, relatively speaking, there were calls both ways that were head-scratchers. But to tempt fate, going back to the original kind of conversation here, I, it, you put it in their hands, especially when they were calling the game. I, I think Lions had played 147 games, and that was his first foul out, if I read wow. the stat correctly. Um, but 147, that's his first foul out. And to be honest with you, it's probably the first time he even had four fouls. I mean, just, just not a – he's a solid defender, not a guy that really is out of position a lot, not a guy that's, you know, reaching or, you know, maybe if you got the four fouls, maybe a couple of them are charted just because you're being aggressive or something. But – I mean, to foul out, but the fifth foul, and you can always point to the fifth foul because it's obviously the one that takes you out, but it was such a late decision to kind of slide over. I mean, you just left it in the hand of the referee. And I, same thing with Bo Hodges. I mean, I know Lions didn't try to take a charge in that one like Bo did, but why put yourself out there with that much time left? You're so valuable to your team. That would be the only thing I, I would question because uh, everything else, he was incredible. We're burying the lead, and I promise we'll talk about Patrick Good and other big storylines in this game, but I thought that Coach Forbes pointed out another very important area and person in this game. And remember, on Wednesday, to preview the game, I talked about Jerome Rodriguez not being in and Joe Hughley taking over some of that production. In the first game, 29 minutes, 9 points, and five rebounds combined between the two said it would be nice if Joe could shoot for those numbers. Ended up in 16 minutes, so almost half as many minutes as Rodriguez and Hughley put in in the first game. 
seven points and six rebounds, and you heard Coach Forbes very appreciative of that, said he just gave tremendous effort. It showed in the stat sheet and nearly hit the numbers and, in fact, went over the rebounding total by himself, but nearly hit the numbers that I was calling for on Wednesday on his own in half as many minutes. That is truly tremendous from Joe Hughley. Yeah, and, and again, just the fact that Furman was really good the first go-round on the glass. And in the first half, they were really good. They actually had a one a rebound advantage, six offensive rebounds, seven second chance points in the first half. I mean, really, uh, really kind of controlling the tempo and everything. And then to have the complete flip in the second half, an 11 to 1 offensive rebound advantage for ETSU. They go plus, what, 18 or something crazy on the glass 18. in the second half. And, uh, and, and a big reason that, number one, is Isaiah Tisdale. But the second reason, I mean, you're talking about 16 minutes, uh, or what was it 15? 15 minutes and six rebounds is pretty stout. And the Bucks did a great job of sort of blocking out and gang rebounding. I mean, when you get Pat Good with five, six rebounds, I mean, that's a that's a solid day. And at some point in time, Furman just stopped crashing the glass. And early, you know, they got a, a couple of guys really going hard to the glass and, and uh, Slauson and Mounts and Gurley. And then at the end, it seemed like, especially when Lions went out, it was like, all right, somebody's going to take a shot. Everybody run down the end of the floor. Like, it was not a – not a situation that I thought uh, Furman was able to take advantage of um, because they are long and they had a size advantage, not not maybe in just weight, but as far as uh, uh, arm span or, or wingspan, I guess I should say, and height, and so especially with the Bucks going with more of a four guard set now that Jeremy Rodriguez has been out for quite some time. So, I the rebounding was the biggest reason, and, and going eleven nothing on second chance points and eleven to one on offensive rebound second half was really uh, the biggest reason. And credit Furman because ETSU, you know, it killed my bold prediction. But every time the Bucks got to eight nine, and it seemed like, or I, I felt like it was on a cusp of sorting. And coach, I think said it in that first bite on the cusp of giving them a knockout blow. Furman just came right back, right, couple body blows. All of a sudden, it's back down to four. It's five. I, you know, tied it a couple times, I think, in the second half. But it was incredible to see Furman's fight and will. And to me, that shows you what a quality team they are because they didn't lay down when any of those things were going against them in a environment that was 61-77 and every bit engaged in that contest. Eight-point lead with 12.37 to go after Ivani Patterson layup. Isaiah Tisdale goes down low, up by eight again, just about 40 or so seconds later. And then Furman gets it to four, and then it was the package show, right? I mean, a three with 8.43 left, then another three with 8.01 left, and then another three with 7.31 left. And like you said, give Furman all the credit in the world because still, you look up at the scoreboard, and at the six-minute mark, after those three threes, a barrage by Patrick Good, it's 63 to 56 and the game still kind of is in the balance but then Lions fouled out with right around five five and a half minutes to go three minutes without a field goal for Furman and truly when it seemed like Lions was going to affect the game by not being on the floor that is exactly what happened and Furman's little offensive drought while again it still wasn't by any means out of hand Bo Hodges free throws made it 10 with 117 to go certainly did seem like that was curtains when Lions fouled out more post game audio I don't think I would have made that play a couple weeks ago because I mean I felt I just felt a little frustrated but I knew I had to stick with my side and just go just go be there for my teammates I grabbed the rebound and I think Bo ended up scoring a layup on that and we pushed the lead forward I mean plays like that's a backbreaker for a team that's playing from behind I mean obviously offensive rebound 
and uh, second chance points are big, especially when you're playing from behind. So I just try to give my teammates an extra effort, and I'm glad I got the rebound and we were able to score from it. Talk about all the threes that Patrick Good made. It seemed like you and Bruce Tranbarger and maybe even a little bit Steve Forbes thought the biggest play of the game was actually off a missed three when he got his own offensive rebound, and that led to Bo Hodges with the Bucks up six, able to get second chance points, and it was 69-61 to 61 with 2.43 to go. As you said, when Patrick Good is crashing the glass, you know it is a total team effort. It was clear that there was a concerted effort from ETSU to change the minus 13 from game one into what ended up being a plus 18 in game two. A 31 rebound difference is pretty crazy, but it certainly seems like Pat is back. I, I think the the just the confidence level of hearing him speak the last couple of games, I think he's been pretty honest about, hey, I was struggling. Maybe I don't want to talk about it, but uh, I mean, everybody could see the numbers. I, I don't think... You know, he say anything, but sometimes guys don't talk about that, right? Like, you know, it's not going my way. It's just that another. And Pat's like, you oh, know, yeah, I'm struggling. You know, I just couldn't get it to go down. Once said flat out in the bite, he maybe not have, will not have made the effort play right. a couple weeks back, right. because just which is when, when things aren't going your way, it's easy to pout and feel sorry for yourself. And the self awareness to sort of know that, say that, and then go out there and and do something about it. But I thought it was a huge play. One, I thought it was a good shot that he took. And he knew he left it short. And, you know, they always say that, you know, sometimes the guy taking a long shot, right, knows if it's going to go in or not, or at least knows where the ball's going to end up. And he ran to a spot to where when the ball caromed off the rim that he was in a good spot to pick it up. As you mentioned, got it to Hodges. And, and Hodges really, a man, you know, he, he didn't play particularly great on offense, but he did get a man's bucket right there. I mean, he went in the middle of the paint, two, three guys going at him. You know, considering some of the fouls that were called, thinking, "Oh, maybe we'll get this call." He didn't, but still was able to finish through the contact and and uh, a couple momentum plays. Uh, and I thought that one stuck out in his third three, where the Bucks were reeling just a little bit, maybe needed a little extra umph, and he was able to get that. I actually got knocked down, uh, and I've I've got back and watched the replay to see if he sort of shot it and embellished and went down or if he actually got hit pretty good i think on my call i think he i thought <laughs> before I the thought shot went hit. in you said he got fouled before the right, shot was even right. in the area and, and, and the truth is it was right in front of me and a guy's coming from the side but in reality like if he clipped him or something it's, it's not i think just the way he went down and everything uh and my guess is if we go back and watch it because pat is not a shoot it and lay on the ground guy um you know or kick a leg out type shooter so we'll just uh, my guess is he probably did I just haven't gone back to watch it to fully know but I thought that that shot uh, gave everybody a little bit of, of extra umph on the bench because again it was one of those where I think Furman was making a run trying to get back at it so his last three and the offensive rebound kept the ball alive was huge for ETSU I think that the game that stands out in my mind as the best basketball game that I've seen involving the Bucks since I've been here now the better part of three years was the Wofford game I think 78 to 76 in overtime last year uh, Wofford with the victory with just some unbelievable shot making on both sides and clutch plays did this approach that to you I, I think it approached it I'm not sure it was quite there but I think it was in the same conversation well and, and the truth is if Jordan Lyons probably didn't foul out it, it could have easily got to, to that status. And I think the, the Wofford game really at some point in time turned in a can you top this game. Right. You know, so, some guy hit a haymaker and another one, you know, you seem like, okay, that's the knockout blow. No, the other team hits one and 
goes back and forth. I think that one, I think the feel of the game was there with the fans and the the firm brought a bus and their their, their fans were very engaging, uh, making fun of the tic-tac-toe guys that had trouble again. <laughs> For some reason, got a chance to win it twice and miss it, and they made some state school references. And again, and I don't say, I mean, that that's what it should be, right? I mean, it's good college rivalry fun there so i'm not knocking the Furman fans for that i mean i think i think that's entertaining for whatever reason the tic-tac-toe game is very baffling for and i don't know i've never tried to shoot layup and look at the big board and everybody's sitting up top so it's a little easier but still it was a couple chances missed but i I think Furman did a good job of bringing folks down just like wofford did and and so the game had that feeling of a high level game i just think because of the way each issue you know sort of won it in command lions find out it just was slightly under that wofford contest this team has answered the bell consistently the entire year challenged them to beat winthrop for a quality win that early early in the year after they beat st mary's played well at kansas we went down and beat lsu we beat wofford at home uh, after a tough loss at Furman. we answered the bell at greensboro and i expect them to answer the bell on saturday they're a mature team uh, they have good chemistry. They have good leadership. Not just one leader, a whole bunch of them. And they all get along. And so we'll be ready to play on Saturday. And you're right. We have three games left. We haven't won anything yet, and we have to finish. I undoubtedly expect the Bucks to answer the bell as well. Stanford has lost 12 of their last 13 as we transition to the preview for tomorrow's contest in the Buccaneer Sports Network, 2.30 pregame, 3 o'clock tap. Amongst those losses, they've lost by 38, 25, 23, 24, 28, and 40 in that stretch. And 40 was the last game to Mercer, 106 to 66. They've given up 80 or more nine times in that stretch. This has been a horrific league season for Scott Paget and company, and this is, I believe, year seven for Scott. I have no inside sources at Stanford. I do not know anything about the type of expectation that their basketball program has, but he has more than six league wins just once in his time there, more than eight zero times. And you have to wonder with the margin of defeat that continues to roll downhill on Sanford if Scott Paget is on his last legs in Birmingham. The the only thing that would would stop that is the, I think two years ago he got an extension, and it was head scratching then. It's even more head scratching now um, because since he got the extension, it was like the very, at the end of that season he had the three guys transfer last year, and now this season. I mean, he just can't get out of the, like, six seed. Is, I think the high seed's finished. And so it was a little baffling he got the deal, and I, I think he's he's at least probably got three years left on it. I mean, the buyout, I can't imagine. It'd have to be over a half million. I mean, unless, unless they figure out a way to somehow talk him down, sort of like the John Beeline uh, deal, just say, look, all right, we know we owe you this money. Is there, not, is there just a number we can come to and we pay you and you not have to stay? But – I, you, Sharkey, Josh Sharkey, who I, you know I love. I, I think he's a, a talent. In Johnson City, there was a blow-up between Pageant and Sharkey mm. that I didn't see. I know Sharkey didn't finish the game on the floor, but all the stat guys, and, and, and my dad's on the stat table, and, and uh, he actually rehashed it when we were walking out of the game there. And I know I've talked to Kevin Brown, sports information director, because he saw it, that – since there, I know Sharky went like two games without double figures, didn't play a lot. Didn't start those two games either. Played yeah. just 32 combined minutes. Yeah, and I, I mean, it looks like they've kissed and made up or whatever, but 
there's definitely something off there and when you're a leader and the coach i mean you're you're sure found leader and your coach you're at wits ends like that it it's just not a good recipe i mean i don't think many teams recover from that clearly sanford has not and so you know the etsu is primed to go down there and pick up one now the problem is the pete hansen has been a tough place for etsu to win mm. i mean it's a you know it just has been and sanford has given etsu fits in the past which sanford team are you going to get are you get the one that just wants the season to be over with i mean i certainly hope that's the team that etsu sees i think robert allen is one of the best uh under the radar guys in the league very talented kid um, really can shoot it can score just a sophomore you know josh sharkey obviously the senior those are the two guys that sort of make him go but looking at the results looking at some other things i mean I just everything points to if etsu would just show up to take care of business they should show up to take care of business my only concern is that has been a tough place for them to win they've won a lot of overtime games and won a lot of you know, last second shot games there. What they haven't done is won by 25 there. I mean, they've really seemed to struggle there. So there's a little bit there, but I, everyone was singing the theme. You know, I think I asked Tisdale, I asked uh, Pat Good, I asked obviously Steve Forbes. Great, you won. Big fan of it. You got more games to go. They're still, you know, unfinished business, and every one of them knew that, addressed it. Like, yeah, listen, if we, 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 all we did was accomplish beating Furman and have a one-game lead. And ETSU was there a few years ago with three games to go. My recollection is correct. They dropped three. I know they dropped the three. I think they had a one-game lead at that time and, and finished third or fourth or whatever in the league. So ETSU and Steve Forbes has been there. I think he knows that. But I really think that, because Sanford has turned into a bit of a train wreck, which is a shock because I think Coach Padgett does a great job of getting players and athletes there. For whatever reason, they either don't stay or they're not being able to mesh. It'll just be curious to see which Sanford Bulldog team you get. Right now, Sanford Bulldog team is one that's just going through the motions. We know Myron Gordon's still out. J.P. Robinson didn't play last game. Interesting to see his status. He's one of their main subs. Sharkey came off the bench a couple of times in this stretch that they've had, as we talked about. Has been back in the starting lineup, but he's been an absolute turnover machine. And it's way more so than in previous years. He's got 156 turnovers in 26 games this year. He had 165 in 33 games last year. Had seven turnovers versus the Bucks the first time around. And you'll remember that it was Bo Hodges and Isaiah Tisdale, which made all the sense in the world. Put your best defenders on their best player. And they were able to limit him and force him into a ton of mistakes. Sharkey's 25 of 38 from the floor in their three wins in league play and those have been two over citadel and one over vmi averaging 24 points per game and in wins pardon me in losses to opponents he shot just 33 percent so it's a struggle when he is struggling it's a struggle for the bucks when they don't make shots from the outside eight of 45 and their two losses in league play so it'll be interesting to see how this game does go, ETSU and league play hasn't necessarily been a team to go on the road and blow people out. Haven't won a road game by more than 19 points, and more on that later. And not to say that that's not a blowout, I suppose. You know, 85-66, I think it was over Western, the game that they won by 19. Um, so that will be interesting to see if ETSU can truly go on the road and put the foot on the throat of the Bulldogs. I think the only way that this game is close personally is if Sanford either has come out with a renewed sense of we need to do this for Scott Padgett or for each other or whatever, or if the Bucks and I don't think this will be the case, much like Steve Forbes does, and I don't think they're going to come out and say, 
we just beat Furman. We're feeling ourselves. We can just kind of go one foot in front of the other, walk and outrun against the Stanford team, uh, and we're going to be all right. I think that in that case, it could be a little bit too close for comfort, um, but considering the recent results and considering really the only thing that kept Stanford in the game the first time for as long as they were with Josh Sharkey for whatever reason losing his mind from outside remember he was like oh of 17 yeah I was gonna bring that up that was an amazing cause I, that was sort of my fun fact I kept walking around the office hey uh if you were to guess Sharkey in like nine games uh, how many threes has he hit everybody's like I don't know 10 15 you know no zero he was over 17 but he did he hit three or four and it was one of those where it was like all right let him shoot he hit one hit second one then they started getting a hand in his face he continued yeah. to knock down the shot so he's at least turned the corner against the bucks out there him and brandon austin were a six and nine combined from outside the rest of the team was zero for eight and in uh wins for samford uh, opponents have shot just 34 percent against them so etsu just has to have a decent shooting day samford has not proven that they can beat a team in this league that is not vmi or the citadel who want to just run up and down and take a bunch of threes Obviously, TSU, not an academy, not playing that style, are much more, I think, together with a plan, more systematic in terms of what they like to do in the half court and can do a ton of different things rather than just one thing. Um, to me, this is just a blowout waiting to happen. And if it's the last time that Scott Padgett faces the Bucks as a head coach at Sanford, I, I just wouldn't be surprised. And it's not to wish somebody out of their job, but it certainly has the signs with, as you mentioned, the blowout between Sharkey and Padgett. Uh, the fact that they're losing by the margin that they are, and it's only getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I would have a hard time looking at a postseason meeting as the athletic director at Stanford with Scott Padgett and not ask some very pointed questions about what the plan is, where this thing is going, and why he's the right one to lead it. It it will be interesting to see the decision that is going to be made. It, and if it's Scott Padgett stays, it's got to be – financially based because the last couple of years have have not and he's not had particularly great years but the last couple of years have not been kind to uh, coach pageant and of course he gave us one of the greatest quotes of all time with carl hess and probably single-handedly got carl hess out of the league uh not on purpose but just because of that uh and then carl not working the championship game i think helped carl into choosing retirement because he'd pretty much been told by every league he's not gonna work a championship game and give Carl credit he didn't hang on more than he probably needed to so be interesting to see it's three o'clock eastern 230 our pregame show. one thing 79 percent from the line during league play for Sanford that's essentially the only category where offensively they're not bottom of the league so stay in your lanes play disciplined defense don't commit stupid fouls gonna be fine also everyone other than Rodriguez will be back and Rodriguez is working back I, I haven't been told yet on Friday my guess is Probably not this game. His first shot to play is Wofford. But, uh, it, you know, a couple weeks ago was no Pat Good on Saturday. A couple weeks ago was no Bo Hodges. I think uh, there's not going to be, unless something's happened, those guys will be on the trips. It'll be uh, the first time in three Saturdays that most of the team is going to play again. Uh, Jeremy Rodriguez, I think, is still not going to play in this one, but maybe a game away. Uh, kind of wait and see how it goes and see if he gets on the floor for that Wofford contest. All right, that's a look at men's basketball. We'll talk women's hoops and senior day coming up on Saturday. Right for this time out, Center Sidekick Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision. 
to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Gallagher trying to pick you up here on this Friday. Yeah. Cooking up, mixing some tunes for you there. All right, so are you DJ J. Cruz? What, 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 what would mine be? Jammin Jammin J. J. Cruz. Jammin okay. J. Cruz. What would I be? Yeah. Yeah. You got to come up with a DJ name for me. I'm not sure mine flows like you. J is just such an easy one to work with. Yeah, it was very easy to go yeah. with. You could do a lot with that. Yes. Uh, I also helped. I worked at a station jamming, so I just incorporated it into the name as as well. It's just too easy. Alliteration. Jamming J was very Alliteration. easy. So Always works. Like, oh, you need a last name, so all right, we'll go with uh, Cruise. Sounds good enough. That way I can put you on cruise control, right? Rest of the night, you just sit back. That, or when you're you cruising down the road, who do you yeah. want to listen to? Jamming yeah. J Cruise. There you go. All right, I don't know how we got side. We always get sidetracked. Uh, ETSU women's basketball last night, Thursday. Man, it was a had a stretch. Where I think they got out. Sanford had a pretty lengthy run, maybe like a 30 to 10 or something like that run. ETSU was able really to battle back and got it, I think, to six, right? When it got it to six, had an opportunity and just not enough gas in the tank at that point in time. But, man, they got right back into it. It was one of those, again, where you felt like, you know, give the women's team a little credit because it felt like, well, you know, again, they could pack it in. This could be a 30-point loss, but, man, they came right back, got it to six, and just a couple possessions there maybe could have could have got them over the hump. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty start to the second half, and it was the first 12 points where the Bucks went through about a five-and-a-half-minute scoreless stretch, and it was 54-35. to 35. Bulldogs were on top, and at that point, yeah, the energy was kind of out of the gym, apparently, for everyone except those in the huddle for ETSU, and you do have to give them a ton of credit because they continued to fight continued to battle and continued to work back into the game and went on a couple of runs themselves it was a seven nothing and a nine nothing as well uh, to get the lead to what was six and then Sanford just able to reverse the momentum a little bit with Charity Brown with a couple of buckets to make it 61 to 51 a 10 point lead going to the fourth quarter but again this was kind of like the I thought the Furman game at Brooks Gym where ETSU was down four. They had to come back in the third quarter. They were down four against Furman. Of course, there was the refereeing call uh, for a man that I will no longer mention on the broadcast. I'm resisting from doing that. So. Rob Fessler. Nah, well, you said yeah, it, say it. You said say it, it. You want to say his name. So there was no refereeing, I think, issue in this one that necessarily turned the momentum, but Sanford, kind of on their own volition, were able to just go out and get those couple of scores and make it a 10-point game, double digits going to the fourth quarter. And then from there, I think ETSU is much like in the Furman game, just a little bit out of steam. Uh, I was very impressed by Kaya Upton in the early going. She was showed some range on the jump shot, and that's something I talked with uh, Coach Brittany Zell about post-game. Really, Kaya has not shown that ability in games. Uh, coming into last night, I believe she was 3 for 35 from outside in her career um, and 2 for 21, I think it is this year, from distance. Uh, but she had a jump shot where she had like a – toenail on the line could have been a three uh won a couple feet inside the arc and then a true three um and that was towards the end of the uh, first half and so she was four or six for nine points in that first half and she was having a really nice offensive day slowed down just a bit but the one thing I would have liked to see is her be a bit more aggressive 
in that second half because Micah Sheets, Buck Starr, was having a tough day shooting the basketball. Was getting to the line. You always like to see that. So she still managed 18 points despite going 5 of 21 from the floor and 1 of 9 from outside. Did have three of the Bucks' first four assists, only ended up with four. So it seemed like some of the things that ETSU did well early, they just didn't go back to. And that was Kai Upton shooting, Micah Sheets playmaking, and I think also, and Bruce Trambarger made a very good point, I thought, on the broadcast last night in our breakdown uh, before we went on air uh, live with tip-off, uh, right before the Mulligan Flooring Keys of the Game, John City Honda Story lineups. Bruce always joins us on the pregame show brought to you by Atmos Energy, and he said, you know, the reason for ETSU struggles when it comes to middle of the first half, really the five-minute mark in the first quarter to the five-minute mark of the second quarter, I pressed him on that because there's been five or six games now in league play where it's been very clear and evident the Bucks start out well and then go through like a 10-minute lull or five-minute lull or whatever the case may be on the night, and all of a sudden they're down six to eight, and the wind is out of the sails a bit. And he said, well, the five-minute mark is usually where you're starting to rely more on your subs, and that can vary from night to night. With ETSU, you know, pick a couple early fouls if you're a Shania Jackson or, or with Jada Craig, you know, she's only putting in a couple minutes at a time because she just doesn't have a lot in that uh, knee left, still trying to come back from a quad and knee injury. So uh, maybe doesn't hold as true with this Buccaneer program, but certainly you look at the general layout of a game and that's the truth, you know, and yesterday it wasn't so much that part of the game that hurt them. It was that beginning of the third quarter. You give up the first 12, don't score for five and a half minutes. Um, that can be tough to overcome. Yeah, well, and Sarah Myers just was incredible. 20, 27 points, of 11 of 18 shooting, 10 rebounds, and then one of my favorite stat lines, Charity Brown, with the 8, 10, 7, and 8. What's the fourth eight? Well, second eight. Fourth stat. Turnovers. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, to be – You're a quadruple-double if you include uh, turnovers. To get eight points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, you're like, all right, they're doing some good things, and all of a sudden you see the other eight, and I'm like, what is that? And I – scroll over and it's turnovers because it's not used to seeing that big of a number from anybody in there and you're like well maybe single-handedly kind of maybe kept ETSU in the contest with some of those and points off turnovers I mean some of the stats again stats lie as it has apparently this year for the women's team but 18 points off turnovers 17 second chance points the rebounding numbers were were even they go to the free throw line particularly impressive rebounding wise because they're down 25 to 14 so they're oh, minus yeah, 11, 11 and come back sure. Uh, but, you know, go to the free throw line 13 more times, shoot 70% from the line. I mean, a lot of things you look at and you just look at those hand-picking some stats that usually tell the tell of a game, and they just don't. They just haven't this year for whatever reason for each issue women's basketball, and, and it just comes down to just making shots. And, and at key times this year, more than not, they've just not been able to hit those key shots. And Sanford missed a lot of easy shots in the basket, if we're quite honest. Um, so the Bucks were handed a, a gift or two, I think, early on, especially Natalie Armstrong had shots that she usually finishes, you know, right at the basket um, over a smaller Shania Jackson. And um, she wasn't able to finish them and give Shania credit for uh, disrupting those shots. But uh, she was in double figures with 11, uh, Shantae Battle with 12, and ETSU's problem has just been on the defensive side. And so we talk about those stats that usually get a team a victory and you match up what you just said, you know, the five or six categories you just mentioned. I, I bet that if you put the margin that ETSU is up or the percent they shot or whatever the case may be in the stat across the board throughout all of women's college basketball in the country, I bet you're getting a win 85 90% of the time. And it just wasn't the case for ETSU because, as Coach Zell told me coming out of the locker room, I just came over to my broadcast position when we were in break and just said, 
you know, I mentioned that, you know, it was a good offensive first half and Kai was really showing something. And she's just like, yeah, if we just had any interest in defending, that would be, you know, a big help for us, obviously, because it's on two sides of the floor. You got to do well offensively. Yes. But you just have to be able to stop the opponent when you need those stops, especially. And as we talked about, when you got to the end of the third quarter and ETSU was down just six, they had made that big run they couldn't get those stops. And then early in the fourth quarter, you know, you get a couple of Micah Sheets free throws, but then it's six straight points for Sanford. And all of a sudden it's right back to where the deficit had been earlier in the game um, at 14. So when you need the stops, you can't get them against a team like Sanford who have a variety of different options offensively. It is difficult to do. Shante Battles, very athletic, can take you off the dribble, did so a number of times. Charity Brown is the all-time assist leader in program history for Sanford. She had six early on, ended up with seven. Some offensive struggles in terms of shooting the ball, had some ugly attempts, was two of seven, but eight points, and then those ten rebounds. I mean, she did a little bit of everything. And outside of her eight turnovers, they had just six turnovers, Sanford did. So with Brown and Battle off the dribble, and then the shooting of Paige Syrup, who's an underrated contributor in that way. Sarah Myers transferred from Maryland average 1.5 points a game as a Terrapin and then just blew up for a career high 27. And then Armstrong, who really didn't have a good night. You can see she was frustrated a lot of the night, but still able to get 11 points and, and five rebounds. The league's leading score in league play. Uh, it's not all on ETSU for not, quote unquote, you know, having an interest in defending and I'm that's not even a direct quote from coach Zell, I'm just paraphrasing but it's it's not all on them because Sanford on the other side is obviously doing a number of things that have had great success for them this year I mean they're top of the league still they're tied with UNCG for that top spot they are in position to get a league championship and so uh, give Carly Coons and Sanford credit that being said it's a running theme with the Bucks now they're giving up seven more points per game in conference play than any other team and so when you're doing that, regardless of how good your offense is on a night, it's going to be tough. Well, I, again, and with the Thursday, Saturday, got to turn it around fairly quickly. It's senior day, so uh, three players, Ariel Harvey, Jada Craig, Tasha Murphy, I think are all going to be. Four players, and Najee Stephanie as well. And Najee Stephanie as well. And then, uh, you know, managers, and they don't get enough love as well, but they'll do managers and everything else that are, are part of the program that uh, people really understand all the work that those kids do on in every sport it's not just uh, the footballs and the basketballs but they're they're team managers with other sports that really do uh, a lot of work uh, especially on the road that I don't you know especially with baseball softball uniforms things like that that you know especially playing a lot of tournament games and everything like that so uh, a lot of those kids don't get uh, recognition uh, so able to get four players uh, I think at least one manager is going to be honored as well so nice little senior day on Saturday and then a team that they beat earlier this year and the Mercer Bears coming to town yeah firstly the seniors Ariel Harvey of course one year with the program after coming over from St. Bonaventure taking a year off last year to have her baby and she's been a welcome addition a couple of double digit games for the box has been good in sub duty um, granted a, a bit up and down production wise but that'll happen when you have a baby in the summer and have to come back and try and work yourself back into game shape jada craig just the epitome of a warrior no question about it um, has fought through two season ending injuries and then missing five weeks this year and is still just giving the program everything she has it was clear that last night after she was subbed in for about 90 or so seconds um that she really just has those short bursts left but you have to admire the fighting spirit of jada and uh, Coach Zell told you the same thing on the coaches show a couple weeks back, really right up there at the top of the list of players at ETSU that she's had in terms of toughness 
and really just giving her all to the program um, and working through more things than many people have persevered in in 10 or 15 year periods in her four years here. And then Tasia Murphy and Ajay Stephanie just have fallen, you know, at the hands of bad luck and injuries, you know, and Ajay had a number of concussions where she's not able to continue and coach still didn't want to put her in harm's way and put her back out on the floor just to have another body. And I'm sure it was tough for her and tough for Ajay as well to not be able to go out there and compete in her senior year, but something that she needed to do, I think, uh, to protect herself, uh, or I should say uh, coaches only to protect Ajay because if you've been around athletes long enough, you know that they're going to do whatever they can to be out on the floor, especially when their whole career is leading up to one year. And then Tasia Murphy now came over from the University of uh, Richmond, and she was someone that looked like she could really contribute a lot in terms of being that threat from outside the arc but she had off-season hip surgery wasn't able to participate this year so it's a senior class that hasn't been on the floor a lot um, really by no fault of their own and that certainly can make it tough when it comes to the win-loss column because you're already just as we talk about there down kind of you know two and a half three bodies if you talk about the time Jada Craig's missed missing the entire year and Ajay Stephanie and Tasia Murphy um, and then of course Ariel Harvey who for a lot of the year was just trying to find herself on the court again after having such a tremendous life experience and giving birth to her first child. So uh, when it comes to Mercer, you know, they're down to 10 bodies. Tia Benvenuti was someone that they had last game when ETSU uh, met Mercer. She's no longer on the team. And it was a game last time that ETSU was able to win, 72-66. to 66. That was the first time that the Bucks scored 70 or more against a Division I opponent all year. They've done so twice since. And all that Mercer had to offer, and this is just very simple for me, this is all you need to do to be able to stop the Bears and get a win, and I think it's a very winnable game. Amori and Neil Tyser, Shannon Titus, Jaron Doherty combined for 62 of these 66 points that Mercer scored. And quite honestly, for stretches there, Neil Tyser didn't look like she had a lot to offer on the offensive end did end up with those 19 points along with eight rebounds and three assists good day for her but if you know that those are the three and that the other team is down to 10 players and that they've struggled in the way that uh that you've struggled a little bit in your time this year I mean a couple of top tier teams historically ETSU and Mercer and now just you know for one reason or another on each side for Mercer I think some of it's just a lack of experience they don't have any seniors on their team and when you look at it in fact just one upperclassman at all one junior so they just don't have someone that's filled in the areas that Kalia Lawrence and Kiki Calloway and others uh, Amanda Thompson in the years past have uh, for ETSU I think it's just been the unexpected nature of how uh, this year has gone injury wise and of course the transfer of Erica Haynes Overton and even players that have been healthy quote unquote dealing with some injuries um, when you know that a team is struggling like Mercer has been and that they have just the three options. If you can go out and shut down, what do you say, two of those? One of them even? I mean, just take one or two of them away. That is a big chunk out of what they want to do. And they're going to struggle to score 50, 55 points. And then the formula becomes pretty easy for ETSU. Attack, get to the rim, get to the line. Uh, if you can even eliminate one or two of those players based on foul trouble because they don't have a lot of depth, um, that can help you as well. So very winnable game. Lost eight in a row to Mercer coming into this year. Beat them at their place. Coming back on senior day, to me, I'm very confident about this result. And uh, another quick stat, um, Ashley Houts, 
third assistant on the staff, technically first year of actual coaching, former WNBA draft pick, former All-American at Georgia. She's got the scout for this game, and this team has had tremendous success in her scouts this year, 6-3. and three. So she's kind of the secret weapon, it seemed like, for ETSU this season. And the fact that she's on it, she's already beat this team once because she had Mercer uh, the first time as well. Um, follow the formula. Be confident. Know that this is your senior's last game, last time in Brooks Gym on a game day. Do it for them. It would be a, a great way to end a tough season at home. It Yes, it would be. 2 o'clock, Brooks Gym. Uh, hope you can make it. If not, ESPN will have coverage uh, of that as uh, Casey Marler, Bruce Trambarger will have the call of that. That'll do it for men's basketball, women's basketball. When we come back, it's our new favorite segment of the podcast. Fail downs. Failed Downs. Coming up right after this timeout, San Jose Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail down. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail down. Fail down. Fail down. Fail. Fail. Fail down. You got Totally comfortable. I wish people, you know, I'm glad we don't have, like, a live cam in here (laughs) ever. We used to. We used to. We can bring it back if you want. No, no, no. (laughs) But the joy that you have during the fail downs intro. It's one of my favorites. That in the top 25. It's one of my favorites. And uh, and I don't know. I kind of always imagined that when Trey Adams was working the studio for us back in this, that I felt like he, he may have a few dance moves going on during the top 25 stuff. But I think... The way you weave and bob to the tunes of the top twenty-five, and especially fell downs, the grin that comes it on is your the face. Facial you expression, are very, isn't it? It is. It, you are very excited, and I, I'm with you. I, I, I was, you know, it was one of those like we did sort of as a one-off, just sort of as a joke. It's evolved, and and, and it's been unbelievable. It's been one of our favorite segments. All right, here it is. First fail. You got two choices. You can uh, you can compete your butt off, or you can get up in the fetal position and curl up and start crying. I'm not going to freaking do that. We're going to. Whoa! Me. I Roy. apologize to everybody, Roy. everybody, everybody. Oh. We're going to freaking compete, and that's what we're going to do. There's a, uh, we play Saturday. You can feel sorry for yourself, and you feel sorry for yourself, and you're going to do that the rest of your freaking life. And I apologize. I usually don't. You know, I don't know what I'm doing right now when I way I'm cursing. Now you've been around college basketball for a long wow. time, as has Roy Williams. That wow. is a rarity for him. I think the only other time, and maybe there's more, the only other time for sure I know he's dropped a curse word was right after he lost the national championship game. And the question had to be asked, are you going to North Carolina? Because he's still Kansas. It, 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 it should have been asked right that exact second. I, I don't know, but it's the biggest question that was floating. And, oh, by the way, he went to North Carolina. Uh, spoiler alert, right, in case you didn't know the end of that story. And... In fairness to him, he basically cursed at the – I don't remember if it was Bonnie Bernstein or or who the female reporter was for CBS. 
but he basically not at her, but he cursed and basically was like, "Look, I'm trying to get in here and slug them. These kids are hurting. They just lost the game." He he said the right thing. There was no denial, you know, like a lot of people, like no way, absolutely not. Uh, but it was one of those where you're like, I mean, you gotta ask. It's one of those weird things, like you have to ask. You don't want to ask. You have to ask. And he dropped a curse word on national television that they did not get a chance to bleep out quickly. Mm. Uh, this one. But I, I love the the passion, the theme, uh, you know. And I went to high school uh, and uh, a little bit of junior high in North Carolina. So the North Carolina Duke thing, obviously, I, I grew right in the heart of, you know, sort of growing up. I was right there, but I didn't have a tie to either one. So I got to just sit back and watch those people go at it. A lot of those guys are my still friends now, and I enjoy reading because – the Duke people were all over Roy on this, and then the North Carolina people were pointing out, well, maybe maybe Coach K will be sick again because they lost NC State or whatever, <laughs> or or he's going to get an assistant to take the loss. So I enjoy that, but I liked – I don't think this is a fail other than obviously the dropping – The fail is the win-loss the, record. Right. The, the, clearly, that the things he's saying, the passion he is – the hey, we're not going to make excuses. We don't want it. the curl up in the fetal position was phenomenal uh, line that was done. I I liked everything about it. The fail is clearly this is and then the um, Cole Anthony was supposed to come back be the savior and it has not worked out. They continuously lose heartbreaking buzzer. Was that right after the Notre Dame game? Right, I think it was right after the Notre Dame game. I'm not. They sure. just got beat at the buzzer um, for like the third straight game. And just, it's been an awful year. I mean, they, they're not even going to make the NIT, are they? Uh, they're 10-16 and 16 with a 3-12 yeah, yeah, I mean, league I mean, record. they I are so. literally, I mean, they're not even going to make the uh, CBI. No, I don't think so. But if they did get invited, you don't go. No. Oh, You're no. North Carolina. You can't no, go. I may, I may call Joe Dwyer and say, you've got to try to get <laughs> Carolina in yes. a college insider tournament, Joe. You've got to get them in. I'm 100% with you. The fail is clearly just the 10-16 and 16 record. Oof. Fewest overall wins in the ACC and fewest league wins in the ACC at 3-12. and 12. you got to love the pay. And you got to have some sympathy a little bit for Roy Williams because you can see that the big, tough moments such as the national championship, right, you totally get that, like, Come on, don't ask me that. I'm just trying to be here for these kids who are clearly in rough shape after this game, and we're so close to the mountaintop, and yada, yada, yada. And then with this, it's just one of the worst years in program history, if not the worst in program history, certain, certainly recent program history at North Carolina. And when faced with microphones right after another heartbreaking loss and a heartbreaking season that has just unfolded uh, like a train wreck, um, undoubtedly, you don't blame the guy for dropping an F-bomb. The, the fail is not the F-bomb, which I suppose an F-bomb could be, just be a fail on this uh, fail downs. Get it? Makes sense. Uh, it's just the fact that they have not succeeded on the court. I love the pass. It, it, love it's, the pass. It's clear, clearly not acceptable. I'll say this. The, he was very remorseful. He apologized. He was, if you, right if away. you played, <laughs> yeah. If you played that bike more, there was more apologies oh, yeah. uh, that, that came out of that. But, yeah, Roy, Roy Williams uh, – I liked it. I liked the He's bite. Still a good guy. There were like five things in that bite that I, I think were unbelievable, except for probably the one word. He's still a good guy. Second fail. And we have to go to Houston. Oh, do we have a problem, Houston? Astros owner. Dude, this is great. Jim Crane. Quote, oh. our opinion is that this, and this being the computer that picks signs, relayed them to the dugout, and then people banged on trash cans, and perhaps, I don't think it's verified, and people have admitted to the buzzers that – 
they were allegedly they wearing. Not. They have not. But there may have been buzzers involved that buzzed a certain amount of times or for, you know, a certain they, length. They haven't that, even admitted to cheating in 2018 and 19. They've just admitted the 17. Because let's be honest, if you won a World Series by cheating in 17, you clearly don't want to do that in 18 and 19, right? Right? Oh, no? No? Okay. So making sure I went on that uh, horse alone. I just enjoy that people are asking about 18, 19, and they've said, no, 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 I mean, clearly, you know, it was just 17. They, they are sticking to their guns, and the owner with the biggest stick to your guns for 10 seconds. Our opinion is that this didn't impact the game. And I'm talking buzzers or not. I, I don't care if that part's true or not. The fact that you got a computer picking out signs relating them to the dugout, and as Mike Trout said, it'd be nice to know what's coming, did not impact the game. When pressed on what exactly he meant by that, Crane said, quote, I didn't say it didn't impact the game. He had, of course, 60 seconds earlier. For those curious about the capacity of Crane's short-term memory. And it did clearly as his team shortstop, Carlos Correa, would later admit. And there are a number of quotes from Carlos Correa and many others that... It was like 30... It was like at the, at the first question when he stopped talking was, are you... You're saying this didn't affect the thing. And he says, no, I didn't say it. And I mean, I was watching... That was live. I was watching that, and I couldn't have laughed... Probably more out loud, just sitting there going, you, you, like, who, he hired a PR firm. And they gave him some very nice talking points, this, that, and other. That clearly was not a good talking point. And then to just uh, almost be baffled, I mean, he was, he was almost bewildered, look on his face, looking at the reporter, and said, I, well, I didn't say that. And everyone, there was a, a, an awkward sort of chuckle slash silence from everyone in the crowd, like, oh, this is going to be gold. Like, I mean, it's almost. I imagine I wasn't there. I imagine the reporter turning and looking to anybody with a camera, going like, "You got that right? Like, can, can I have that? If I don't work for that station, like, please tell me you got that, because it's such Houston on every level, is such a an epic fail right now. That that, that that is the and it starts at the top, right? Yes, and, and when the top guy clearly does that, and, and then I, he says that, and then he pounds his chest on firing people. Uh, and not going to go. And I'm like, okay, well, that was 2017. You're firing people for a couple years ago. What what are we doing about 18 and 19? For Nothing, me, apparently. this is worse than steroids. And I promise I'm not just getting worked up into a tizzy because we're talking about it. And I just read the Jim Crane bite. That was an unfathomable thing to say after he said the exact opposite earlier. It's, it's like he read and regurgitated, but didn't really take in what he was saying. Like, if he would have reread it, I think he would have seen that. Clearly, you did just say that. I think it's worse than steroids. I think it's the or, worst. Or he miss. you know, and this is even worse, or it was written a different way, and instead of going off the script, he decided to paraphrase and went the complete opposite way of what it was supposed to say. I don't know that they were just going to say, yes, this impacted every game. We should take our championship away. But it could be something where, like, you know, we know this impacted games and things. or what. I mean, I don't know. But it seems like if you're a PR firm and you hired damage control that you wouldn't actually physically write, this had nothing to do with it. And then the way he came back and was like, no, I didn't say that. It's almost like I think the notes he had, he decided to just not read off the script and paraphrase, and then it just went wrong. And he just convinced himself because he had reread that several times that he didn't say that. That's the only thing I can come up with. It's still a fail of epic proportions. Epic. 
But I just, I, I'm just trying to figure out. I can't imagine. And if you did pay a, a PR firm to do that, me and you are in the wrong business because I could write very bad stuff for people to read that are factually. Oh, you could. I, there's nobody that no, no. can write more factually incorrect stuff than I could. I mean. It'd be tough. You can write some of the worst things I've ever seen. I, I agree. We have a whole segment money. on some of it. Lots of money doing stuff. So. so I'm just saying I need to get paid more. To me, it's the worst sports scandal of my lifetime, uh, and I'm going back to basically early 90s, late 80s here. Uh, it is atrocious. It is a cheat to the game. It is the worst thing in baseball, I think, since the Black Sox, what, 100 years ago. And the fact that the championship hasn't been taken away and that the players involved have not gotten suspensions of at least a year if the buzzers are true and at tops a year if the buzzers are not, you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me and convince me in any way that these players didn't know what they were doing. You played baseball your entire lives, and if someone's feeding you signs and signals from a computer or via a buzzer, you are cheating at the highest level. Have you seen some of the numbers? Because people have gone... And I did. Uh, no. And I did too. Uh, don't, the the, I don't even the know home I versus. I'll just give you one guy. Oh boy! Because he's the defender of all things. It, but for my Braves fans out there, Brian McCann is the defender of the unwritten rules like nobody's business. Uh-oh. And he made one brief statement, which was trying to sort of defend himself and say, "Well, I knew it was going on. I told him to knock it off." Because he's the guy, if you remember. When Carlos Gomez lost his mind, hit the home yes. run, spit it there. Like McCann standing, Cut him one, off. Of the, one of the most epic things that, you know, you don't see a catcher kind of hockey style, mask is off, gloves off. You're not getting a home plate. You're, you're not, you know, we're, we're going to address this now. And, and in reality, it was, I, I did like it now. Again, the Braves went out of control that year, like policing, like they were so bad, I guess they decided they would just police the game and everything that was out of control that, that shouldn't be. But, Brian McCann has come out and said, you know, I was really against this, you know, because he's the defender of all unwritten rules. That's what he's prided himself on. He hit 214 that year. In the playoffs. At home. Nine for 30. You know, almost 300. Pretty Exactly 300. Exactly 300. There you go. Okay. Okay. One for 27 on the road. <laughs> One for 27 on the road. And people, Not quite 300. And, and, and McCann, again, and I think he falls under the radar because he hit 214 for the season. And by the way, during the regular season, I will say this: his his batting average was again he hit two fourteen, so it's not real good either way. But when you hit three hundred, you got nine of your ten hits out of fifty seven at bats right. at home of the defender of all things, B. McCann. And the Braves have uh, Brian McCann bobblehead day day two, and he has been radio silent. I'm wondering uh, what will Mister Unwritten Rule do now? The Braves weren't in the postseason battle in Houston or anything so it's not as bad but I'm just curious because he has pounded his chest of I'm all things that wholly play it the right way do all this and and now this is this is on the scandal so I'm curious to see and I cannot wait to we uh, because we will still probably be doing a podcast I cannot wait to bring the bobblehead day of Brian McCann and what happens kick all of them out for at least a year and take the title away boom third fail Speaking of fails, it seems like everything in baseball is a fail right now. And one of the more, I suppose, as you said, under-the-radar fails lately, though it did get a lot of attention itself, I think just Houston's overshadowing everything. And really, Rob Manfred and every single move that he makes 
which has been a fail, so it seems, is overshadowing some of the lesser or not as quote-unquote newsworthy items around baseball. But the New York Mets, which Lando's land and Landon Owen, who came on last year, knows always a fail, 100%. A $57 million spring training renovation was made to the home clubhouse. The Mets are using it for spring training and only spring training, not for the St. Lucie regular season. I believe that's high A, advanced A, down to the Florida State League for the New York Mets. Not letting St. Lucie use it during their regular season because they didn't want minor leaguers and don't want minor leaguers to let that get to their head. They want to give minor leaguers a reminder of the status they're working to earn. And I thought Ty Kelly, who I believe is a prospect in the system, if he has not made it to City Field yet, quote, tough to forget you're an A-ball when you're rationing two plates of spaghetti for 25 guys after games, but sure, leather couches <laughs> will go to their heads. <laughs> Phenomenal. Then he follows up, oh. which is even better, I think. He follows up in his own thread with a picture of what he's eating at MILB spring training. One slice of deli meat, one slice of cheese on what looks to be very stale bread. I enjoy that, and I read through a lot of that because I was amazed with the ignorant fan that would say, well, if you want to just play better. Well, <laughs> what in the world? Like, very few people, if any, get immediately drafted and go to the pro. Like, you have, like you go through the stages almost every pro does i mean chris sale was one of the few guys that spent one month in the minor leagues and went straight to the pros college guy one month i mean again very few most people two three years rather you know we've seen mvps i mean bryce harper you've seen chris bryant you've seen all these you know the big sluggers like mcguire pull holes i mean all those guys Went through King Giffrey Jr.'s, you know, the oddball. You know, called up at 19, kind of flew through his way. But 99% of all pros worked their way through that. So I was amazed. Or, or the it was either that or the, well, why, I mean, you can go to Aldi and get, I just went to Aldi. I can get a <laughs> thing of spaghetti for uh, and a, a jar of $2.50. You guys can't get it. Like, like it, 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 that's not the point. When you get done playing, you walk into a room and there's a spread, and I'm using quotes here. There's a spread, and that the spread is like, oof, this isn't going to feed 30 guys. And I've worked in minor league baseball. You've worked in minor league baseball. I don't know how much you got a chance to go in a locker room before and after games. I mean, it's just not it. It's the argument, unfortunately, that they're talking about trying to do away with, obviously, the Appalachian League, get some talk, getting rid of this. But it's the absurdity that these teams will invest that, and in which is what I laugh at, the Fifty-seven Mets, million dollars. Fifty-seven million in a spring training facility that is used a month. It's going to go unused okay. during the then time that Lucy's there. But they won't. The Mets spend a hundred thousand dollars in Kingsport to you know put paint, you Correct. know fix benches to do anything else because I mean we can't do that. We'll spend fifty-seven million here, but goodness gracious, I can't spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make sure that our prospects are taken care of because that is all the cities that host these teams do it's it's what's ridiculous about baseball to to be it's the only minor leagues and again football doesn't have a minor league system but and hockey at least invests more in their people in the lower level the g league is clearly 
uh, investing in the teams and kicking in and taking advantage of that. The minor league baseball thing is always It's like they go laughable. out of their way to make sure you know your life is garbage unless you're in the majors. Like that, for, that facility is just going to sit there. For the dream. Like, like some of these guys are obviously only going to play a few years, never make it to the show, and you're talking about we can't give them a leather couch or, or whatever. We can't buy them stools. They're going to spend 57, or did, spend $57 million to use for a month and then <laughs> not let anybody know. It's so it's bad. Petty. It was, it was great. Uh, that's a huge – and that's a huge fail. I'm, I'm not just saying the Mets. That's a huge all fail across baseball. on baseball altogether. But the Mets is a very good example, as they usually are for failure. Sure they uh, Pretty good source, too, as just doing some quick research on Ty Kelly. He's been in the majors, looks like three separate stints, about 188 plate appearances. In the minors, nearly 5,000 plate appearances. So this has been his life for 11 seasons. So the fact that he is the one speaking out on this and giving the pictures of the sandwiches and saying the things that he did, uh, clearly he knows what he's talking about. And clearly the Mets, once again, at the forefront of failure. Fourth fail. Fourth and final fail. And it's your boy, Mel Tucker, who tweeted on February 8th <laughs> at 2.43 p.m. While I am flattered to be considered for the head coach job at Michigan State, I am committed to Colorado football for hashtag the build of our program. It's great. Athletes, coaches, and supporters Hashtag unfinished business. Sounds like he did have some unfinished business. He was signing on the dotted line with Michigan State. Hashtag culture. Hashtag the build. Let me just read from an SI article on what was a chronicled situation with Mel Tucker going into basically the next day where he finished up the contract with Michigan State, or it may have even been that night. Reading from the Sports Illustrated article, quote, while working toward a deal Tuesday night to become Michigan State's head coach, Tucker spoke to more than two dozen Colorado boosters and fans at a fundraising event at the Denver Country Club, soliciting their donations while expressing his commitment to the program. Sipping on his trademark scotch and water, a Jay Sandoz favorite, yeah. Tucker paraded through a reception of big money Buff Club members in a plush window line room, eventually delivering a speech and taking questions. He spoke about his passion for Colorado, his passion for Colorado, described his reasons for accepting the job 14 months before and expressed excitement in the future built around the high school players he had signed a week ago. And then there's quotes from people that were there, which were the best. Says Craig Poulter, 60. We were hoodwinked! A longtime Colorado season ticket holder and Colorado native who was there, quote, Mel misled us. I believed in him, which that part kind of breaks First of all, can, can you please work in hoodwink in your next <laughs> broadcast, go? Second... Quote, the whole thing was surreal. Tim Harrington, who was in attendance, says during an interview with Sports Illustrated, I knew exactly what he was doing the next day. So I didn't read into the exact timeline, but that was February 8th that he tweeted it. Can I just read you, Drew Drew Pearson, who has the most epic uh, of all time, I think, you know, in the draft, they bring in, Pearson was a former undrafted, which is funny to have him at the NFL draft because he's undrafted in wide receiver Dallas Cowboys unfortunately missed out on the Hall of Fame, and they broadcast everywhere the heartbreaking news he didn't get in. I mean, it was really awful, but because Drew, all intents and purposes, seems like seems like a good dude, right? And he goes into Philly, and they and they start booing him, and he goes straight heel on Philadelphia draft a few years ago, where he starts screaming, you know. I would like to thank everybody in Philly for giving me a job and getting me a raise for all the times I beat you down. I mean, it's was, it was really spectacular. <laughs> Drew Pearson took the Hill persona a step further on Mel Tucker, okay? <laughs> Mel Tucker 
is a con. The exact <laughs> second this broke, all caps. Mel Tucker is a con man. Oh. He recruited my grandson to go to see you. Said he wasn't going anywhere. Then ups and leaves. Sat there, lied to my face. Wasn't going anywhere. Exclamation point. And then my favorite line of all time. So I want to beat him up today. Yes. On social media. Yes. What else can I do? And that led to fourteen thousand people. Resi- but beat him up on social media, says Drew Pearson. So it sounds like he was finalizing the contract the next day or that night or whatever the case may be. Certainly working towards it, and then it seems like he was introduced four days later. Hmm. And the fact that his salary got doubled, his assistant's salaries got doubled, his operating budget was like 45% more, everything about it, plus the revenue share of the Big Ten and uh, compared to what the Pac-12 was doing amongst schools – Yada, yada, yada. As a person sitting back, you go, okay, it makes sense to take the job. But I love the emphatic, like, eight hours before I take the job. Not going anywhere with the hashtag unfinished business. Probably my favorite. And then going and yeah. talking yeah. to boosters and fans and saying, go buffs. We're and, building something here. Hashtag the build. And, and I will say this. Th- I mean, it's. It was one of the situations where he probably told his agent, say, look, I'm not going there unless this happens. And he may have gone to, and he may go to that thing thinking, man, nah, they're not going to match these crazy things. And then they match it. And what do you do? Right. That's always been a, a, a thing in negotiating where it's like, OK, I'm going to ask for all this stupid stuff. And then it's like, OK, what if they do it? Well, they're not going to do it. OK, but what if they do it? I feel like that's Mel Tucker. Like, all right, I, I don't probably bad to leave there's a lot of things going on i've got to compete with ohio state penn state michigan behind the eight ball you know recruiting's already done i mean i don't even know what the heck i'm getting into can i get coaches i mean there's a lot of reasons why it's like it it doesn't make sense to take the job at that time but i just feel like he kind of had a conversation with his agent it's like hey here's exactly what i want i don't care if they're gonna meet or not but this is the ridiculous stuff i want if they do that sure i'll sign it and then he walks out the door probably believing whatever he put out oh, there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's how I think it went down because that's how it works. It wasn't, I don't think Mel Tucker was on the phone driving to the place like, yeah, let's get this, you know, I need this. <laughs> he just said to his agent, like, hey, I need all this crap. Get it for me. And the agent, bless him, because he's going to get a cut of it too. Got he, it he got it done. Got it done. And Mel Tucker's probably going, holy smokes, that got done. All right, I'm going. How about he doesn't delete the tweet? I admire it. He's standing oh. by it. He's saying, I said it. I'll go down with this shift. And in social media and on the internet, he did. But in defense of Mel, who is a con man, in defense, he did get everybody paid. And sure. he took a job. I'm just not sure why he expressed on Twitter, and this is the trap for everybody in all of your lives. Like, I'm sure everyone has tweeted something that they are like, wow, that was pretty stupid, and either deleted it or just left it up and took the heat, which, again, is what I admire about the Mel Tucker thing. He left it up and continuously, as you can tell, by the fact that we're talking about this two weeks later, continues to take heat. But he had an offer it didn't look like he could turn down. And so, in his I mean, defense... In, in, in any just probably shouldn't have tweeted it. It's a it, fail that he tweeted it. It is very... I mean, there, there are some loyalty things. I get that. But in every walk of life, if somebody tells you whatever business you're in, right? It doesn't matter if you work... Let's say you work for a cell phone company. You're not making that much money. It's like, hey, Boom. I'm going to double your salary, come over here to Verizon from AT&T or Sprint or whatever, T-Mobile, whatever. Let's say you work at a station in Florida, DJ J. Cruz, and the ETSU is just like, eh, you know, we're not going to give you more money, but it's your alma mater. You're just like, okay, cool. See? 
I mean, it applies to everybody. It, it, it makes more sense if Mel Tucker went to his alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is just a situation. I mean, it just, you know, if you live in John City and, uh, you know, Knoxville or Nashville calls you and, you know, competitive company and you you just met with, you know, other workers. The, the, the whole thing that's bad, and people hate coaches because they do all this, and I get that. And, they, you know, they're jumping job to job and things. They, also, they can be fired. I mean, that's the other thing, right? These guys get fired. But in the world that coaches live in, you have to be engaged social media. you got to do all that. You have to deny because if the deal goes down, and and not in a good way. Like if the deal falls through, he's still at Colorado, so he's got to look back at those tweets and go, "Hey, I told you, I wasn't going anywhere. I'm doing this. I'm doing that." So it's it's so bad, but it's also why you you know we don't believe anybody. You know you shouldn't believe anybody. I mean it's just incredible, epic fail by Mel Tucker. One two three fail. Good times. All right, what do we got? Uh, bull predictions. Bull predictions. We're after this time out. Send no sidekick. Buccaneers. Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz, live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show, every Wednesday at 6, right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Bold prediction, and because I did one on Wednesday, it doesn't count, and we will move on to. Or is that not uh, right? Uh, okay. Uh, no. uh, okay. This may. You were wrong. Furman by negative fifteen. ETSU by. Fur- Furman by negative. I like the way we were at Furman. ETSU plus fifteen. Take it, Furman, all the way. Minus fifteen. Yes. Uh, point loss. Go ahead. It really could have gotten there. It really could have. So, like you said in the first segment, it could. Uh, all right. Furman just had a little bit more fight than you thought. I've got fifteen right. And you've got an 18, right? I still got some ground to make up, but I'm very confident in my bowl predictions. This week. Yeah, right, very confident in my bowl predictions. ETSU women's basketball will shoot 50% or higher from the field against Mercer. You may say that's not bold. ETSU has not done it yet this year. Their high is 48.9%. Huh. That was against Wofford. And unfortunately, they lost that game on the road in Spartanburg a couple weeks back. Have not done it. They will do it because it hasn't been done yet. That's a bowl prediction. Go ahead. You got another one. Oh, me? You want me to do all of them? Okay. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, you got, okay. Not all of them. You got to do one more, and then I'll jump in. This is another brilliant one. I'm just okay. wait, I, right. I hope you're ready for it. You're sitting down. You might want to sit down uh, even further into your chair. I hope it's not what I'm going to go. So your legs don't get wobbly by the greatness of this prediction. Uh-huh. ETSU men's basketball, uh-huh. who have won by, at most, 19 points on the road this year, as I mentioned in segment one, uh-huh. going to set a new high this year for most points, one by on the road, 20 or more against Stanford. 20. Hasn't been done, mm-hmm. therefore, mm-hmm. bold. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm finding nice loopholes here this mm-hmm. week is what I'm doing. Okay. If things uh, haven't been done for a full season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm no, good. Uh, okay. Are you done? No, I'm good. You sure? Okay. Are you? 
You want to go ahead? Let me get up. All right. The Wofford Wofford Terriers get the break of not playing in the horrific Timmins Arena. They're going to the Bond Secure downtown. They call it the Well, the downtown arena. They go high noon for television. The Terriers, and this is a large number right here. Fifteen threes against Furman oh. Paladins and win. Fifteen threes and win. Is Fletcher McGee walking through that door? He is not. All right. And for the record, they have not hit 15 threes this year. Go. Let's take a look at men's basketball for Saturday. Great games. The fact that Kansas and Baylor are playing at noon. Oh, yeah. What in the world is going on? Seven unranked or lower-ranked teams win Saturday against ranked teams in men's basketball. And there are exactly, I so believe, 15. You're, you're looking for the repeat of last Saturday. Well, kind of. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fair. I think seven of the eight teams from eighteen to twenty five lost. So that was even more of an aberration, I think. But I'm going because there's only fifteen games. It's a little bit slimmer of a Saturday. Lower ranked than the team they're playing. So like in instance of Gonzaga and BYU, which I'm banking on for that happening for BYU in this bold prediction at least. If BYU wins, that hits right, and that's one. If Arizona beats Oregon, 14 versus 24, Arizona, got to hit that. Uh, and then there's a number of unranked. Yeah, there's only like two or three. There's three te- There's three games that feature two ranked teams. So I pretty much got to have the lower team in those three and then hope that I get upsets in four others. So, yeah, a little bit like last Saturday. Need it. I need these. Last one. I'm going to the squared circle. Oh, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, two. Do, do, do you know which one's American? Uh, yeah, Tyson like, Fury. No, okay. So, when in doubt, when in doubt, I pull for the American. Take the American guy. You dag on right. When in doubt, you go American. I'm going Deontay Wilder. What are the odds? Do we know? Uh, yes, uh, Tyson Fury's plus four fifty. Wilder's nine hundred. Wow. So, uh, Fury two to one favorite. Two to one. I'm going Wilder knockout. Eighth rounder before. Oh, man. Fury. I love this. Never lost. He's going to lose on a knockout. Deontay Wilder, and I'm even saying both eighth rounder before. You're getting specific. I love it. I'm a big boxing guy. I would already watch this fight. Now I can watch it with a rooting interest for Tyson Fury. Go, Tyson. You hate America. I hate you. Buccaneers, Network. See ya.